Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. This is the first week of summer. School is out, the heat is on, the beach and pool awaits. This time of year is also marked by hurricane season and rainy season. In this issue, we'll look ahead and see what the forecasters are calling for this summer. And just to whet your appetite, here's what the heat was like in 2021. It's pretty remarkable to say that, you know, we have heat waves every summer in various spots in the country, but this particular heat wave is one that just really kind of was over the top. Meteorologist Jackson Dill will preview 2022. Plus, so far this rainy season, we've had afternoon downpours and tropical rains. Flooding has been a huge issue. Many are wondering what we have to look forward to. Meteorologist Erica Delgado chats with our favorite weather or not contributor, Robert Moyeta from the Miami office of the National Weather Service. That's all ahead on Weather or Not. The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the storm station, Seven News. Before we can look ahead at the summer season, we need to look back. Here's meteorologist Jackson Dill as he chats with Karen Gleason, meteorologist with NOAA's National Centers for Environmental Information. So just my first question for you is, can you just set the stage for our audience and describe what a typical summer is like across the different parts of the United States? Typically during the summer, which are the months of June, July, and August, average temperatures tend to be the warmest in the southern tier state, and specifically the warmest temperatures are most likely seen in Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. They typically average in the low to mid 80s, and that, that's averaging both nighttime as well as daytime temperatures. And then as you move further to the north in the lower 48, you expect those temperatures to cool off. There are some variations, but in general, the coolest temperatures are in the Pacific Northwest as well as across Maine, and they average between about 60 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit. So you've got about a 20 degree difference from the southern states to the northern states. Looking at precipitation, the western U.S., it's typically their dry season in the summer. They, they, they tend to not have any or have very little precipitation during the summer months. Their, their wet season tends to be in the winter. Other parts of the west can see, you know, maybe an inch or two of rainfall during the summer, but by and large, it's very dry in the West in, in general. The Eastern half of the US on the other hand is typically fairly wet. There's a lot of influence from the Gulf of, of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean, which are great moisture sources. And most of the East, Eastern US gets about 10 inches of precipitation or more on average. The Gulf Coast regions and specifically the parts that border the Gulf of Mexico as well as the Southeastern states that also border the Atlantic Ocean they, because of that ample moisture supply, they tend to get about 15 to 20 inches on average of rainfall during the summer. And then certainly tropical systems can send that over, over the top as we, we saw last summer. But in general, that's what you see for temperature and precipitation across the lower 48. And it seems like one of the bigger headlines from this past summer was how is one of the hottest on record, if not the hottest on record. Can you explain how hot it really was 
and which regions in the country were the hottest compared to what's normal for a summer? Right. Yes, no, that's a great question. During the summer of 2021, we actually tied with 1936. It was like neck and neck, like literally hundreds of a degree Fahrenheit when you average the all 48 states from 1936. So it really was the warmest and it tied for the warmest on record, but there were definitely regional variations in, in, in that. Certainly the areas that stood out were much of the West that averaged about six to seven degrees above average and, and were record warmest in many of those locations. State by state, the states of California, Oregon, Nevada, Idaho, and Utah, they each ranked warmest on record. Washington, Montana were second warmest. Arizona, Wyoming were third warmest. So basically the Western half of the United States was really warm. There was a really um, persistent ridge of high pressure, which allowed southerly winds to kind of dominate. And it just, it created a heat dome in the West. We did see above average temperatures from the plains to New England as well, and as well as parts of Florida. And then we saw in the South central part of the U.S. from Texas to parts of the Southeast, average to slightly below average temperatures. So, you know, when you take all of that into consideration, it ended up being the warmest because the West was just so amazingly warm. Precipitation-wise, portions of the Pacific Northwest, Northern Rockies, Plains, the upper Mississippi Valley received below average rainfall, and portions of the Central Gulf Coast had nearly double their average rainfall, and a lot of that was due to Hurricane Ida. The Gulf Coast states the mid-Mississippi Valley, eastern Great Lakes, and much of the Northeast had above average rainfall. But overall, I mean, it, it's interesting because the summer was really warm in the, in the West, record warm for parts of the West. And then, like I said, other parts, it was near average. I know I'm in North Carolina and we had a really nice summer for once. It wasn't above average. So that was, that was nice. I want to talk more about that heat that you mentioned in Northwest, especially in late June, where there were all-time records set. Uh, it was so extreme that more than 100 people died because of how high those temperatures were, and they're not really used to heat events like that. Can you explain how rare heat of that magnitude is in that part of the country? So the, the heat wave that occurred towards the end of June of 2021 was really special in the sense that the magnitude of the records that were set were really kind of unprecedented. New state temperature record, in fact, was set for the state of Washington in the Hanford area. They reached 120 degrees, breaking the previous record of 118. So this is a statewide record. It's not just that location. It's across the entire state. There is no on-record known location that has exceeded that value. So it broke a record by two degrees. And in Oregon, Pelton Dam and the Moody Farms Agrimet site, they both tied the state record, which is 119 on June 29th. And that record was a record that's been in place since 1898. So this is a long time record that they tied. And as I said, many stations across the Northwest, I mean, dozens upon dozens broke their own all time records during this time. In fact, one station, which to me, this is just astounding in Quileute, Washington, they broke their previous all-time record by 11 degrees. So it's not an 11 degree above normal temperature. It's take their highest temperature ever recorded and add 11 degrees to it. So they reached 110 that day. So this is not a location that gets above 100 like ever, and they hit 110 on this particular day. So it's pretty remarkable to say that, you know, we have heat waves every summer in various spots in the country, but this particular heat wave is one that just really kind of was over the top. 
yeah, it seems like the number of records that were broken during that event was pretty different from any other events before. Yes, I would agree. So both temperature and precipitation last summer were in the top 10 for warmest and most wet, respectively. Is there a correlation between the higher temperature readings and precipitation measurements? Or in other words, what do we expect more precipitation, more rainfall, or more snowfall to increase as temperatures increase? So it's a really interesting question. And there actually is a correlation typically between temperature and precipitation, but it's not, <laughs> it's not warmer temperatures correlating with, with higher precipitation. In fact, the, the national statistics, so it being warmest and then it also being eighth wettest on record, it's a national average. So it kind of smooths out the rough edges everywhere. It really, if we look regionally and we, we overlay temperature and precipitation, whether it's above or below average, the correlation that you're actually going to see is that warm temperatures drive dry conditions and vice versa. Dry weather can inflate temperature readings. So there's a moisture component here where there's a lack of moisture. It can get really hot really quickly. That's why we have deserts that heat up really hot during the day. But then conversely, where you have lots of precipitation, you have lots of cloud cover and cloud cover suppresses the daytime high temperatures. So areas that received a lot of precipitation, like we saw in the central Gulf Coast with Hurricane Ida, for instance, those temperatures were much closer to average than being elevated. So lots of precipitation generally correlates with lower temperatures and higher temperatures correlates with drier conditions. That, th those would be the two associations that I think are, are fairly well known. And we know that out in the Western part of the US, they're in a, a multi-year drought period. Yes, they have punctuated moments where there is precipitation or they have an atmospheric river event that brings a lot of precipitation over a short period of time, but by and large, much of the West has been in a precipitation deficit for many years at this point. And so being that dry and the ground being as dry as it is, it can heat up very quickly because there's no moisture to help balance out the heat, the incoming radiation. So, so yes, definitely the dry conditions exacerbate and intensify the heat and allow it to really heat the ground. If there was more foliage, if there was more ground cover, some of that heat would be translated and transferred and it wouldn't get as hot. So it, that prolonged nature of it being as dry as it was for as long as it was definitely helped contribute to, to that intense heat. What were the most notable extreme weather events that took place in the U.S. last summer? So clearly the Pacific Northwest heat event was probably one of the big ones and probably could be the biggest because of it being so unusual. I would say the second one, and I've already mentioned this, was Hurricane Ida. Ida was kind of unusual. She made landfall on August 29th, so near the end of summer in Louisiana. She had 150 miles sustained winds and was a Category 4 hurricane. This is the second year in a row Louisiana has been hit directly by a Category 4, 4 hurricane. And Ida was the most costly billion-dollar disaster of 2021. And part of that was because it didn't just impact the Gulf Coast. As it moved up the East Coast, when it, when it was no longer a hurricane, it merged with a frontal system, a low-pressure system in the Northeast, and caused tremendous flooding and storm damage across a lot, large part of the Northeast. And so there was a lot of damage that was incurred in, in that part of the country as well. And then I would say the, uh, the other event that probably ranks in there is probably the Dixie Fire in Northern California. 
This was the second largest fire in California history and was about, during the summer months, about 820,000 acres. It ended up being almost a million acres. It was just under that by the end of fall. So a, a very large fire. And again, many years of, of, dr of drought conditions, really hot conditions. I mean, this is all just fuel for making really large fires very quickly. Now focusing on South Florida, we got lucky last hurricane season without any significant impacts from any tropical cyclones. How can the weather last summer generally be summarized in a city like Miami or Fort Lauderdale? So South Florida had above average temperatures, about one to two degrees above average. But that said, the nighttime temperatures really drove that heat. And that seems to be a trend in Florida and especially South Florida. So overnight low temperatures were notably warmer about two to three degrees warmer than average. So about 74, 75 degrees overnight. And daytime temperatures were a little bit closer to average, just a slight bit above average. So when you average the two together, you get about one to two degrees above average. But it's those overnight temperatures that's not cooling down. And that's a large part because there's such a moist blanket of air that's present and that heat cannot escape when you have that much moisture in the atmosphere. So overall, it was a, I wouldn't say a typical summer, certainly it, the overnight low temperatures not cooling down is becoming more normal in South Florida. I would say Florida in general generally escaped the, 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 you know, the heat that happened out West. So it was much more normal. When you take a look at precipitation, it was near average across the state as well. Tropical cyclones sometimes are a normal part of the South Florida summertime precipitation regime. Despite that, there really wasn't a lot of tropical activity, as you mentioned. And so the precipitation was near average for the summer. So it was a fairly average, slightly above average temperature summer for Florida. So not, not, not too bad. 2022 Summer Outlook, when we return. Severe weather can strike any time. And when it does, Seven's got you covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a long line of rainfall here. We are the Storm Station. Seven News. And June marks the start of summer, so what can we expect in terms of the weather during these warmer months? I spoke with John Gottschalk, who is the chief of the Operational Prediction Branch at NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, for the answer. John, thanks so much for joining me today. Following the warmest summer on record last year for the contiguous U.S., is another warm summer ahead? Well, I mean, we are favoring above normal temperatures, as you know, for much of the country. It, it doesn't say one way or another, though, that we would have another record, uh, record summer season. Certainly favoring above normal temperatures the most out in the western United States, where, where drought conditions and and fire are creating a major problem. And so temperatures are expected, certainly the highest odds for above normal temperatures there, but generally the entire continental US favoring above normal temperatures, but we really can't say one way or another whether it'll be another record warm summer. Are there any main predictors that lead to this warmer than average temperature outlook overall for the US? Yeah, there's two right now. We still have a La Nina ongoing, which is somewhat unusual for this late in, in the seasonal cycle or the annual cycle, meaning in the summer months. Typically, La Nina events wane during the spring and we're more in ENSO neutral conditions. And even though impacts during the summer for, from ENSO are typically less than during the winter, La Nina does favor above normal temperatures for much of the center part of the country during the summer. 
A second factor that's pretty important I already mentioned is, is, the, is the dry conditions out west and, and in, encroaching in the plains. The feedback there is, t is, is typically dry conditions favor higher odds for warmer temperatures. As you mentioned with that significant drought continuing across the west, do you anticipate the droughts to continue or worsen or are there any signs of relief ahead this summer? There are a few areas, pretty small areas, but there are a few areas that we do feel like there'll be some, potentially some relief. We'll see how that, that goes. One of those is in parts of the Northern Rockies, maybe some areas in the Pacific Northwest where the drought has been e being eased already. That's one area. The other area is that we still are opt cautiously optimistic for a decent monsoon in the Southwest this year, mainly, most likely probably across Arizona and parts of the Southern Rockies, but that may help drought conditions somewhat there as well after an initial uh, potential fire increase because of dry thunderstorms. But the areas, unfortunately, the remaining areas on, are favored to remain or persist or actually develop further in drought across parts of the plains, northern plains, north central plains. How about rainfall? Are there any particular regions in the U.S. that are expected to have a wetter or stormier weather pattern during the summer as a whole? Yeah, as I mentioned the, the, already, the Southwest, that we do favor some more active convection and, and thunderstorm activity there. But also along the Eastern seaboard, temper, precipitation trends in the last you know, 10, 15 years have been considerably more wet. And also with the La Nina in place and the forecast for an active tropical cyclone or hurricane season in the Atlantic, there is greater potential for some storminess along the East Coast and the Gulf of Mexico, not predicting any landfall specifics, but in general, the odds are slightly elevated because of that as well. In South Florida, June, July, and August make up about half of our rainy season. What is expected this year? For South Florida, we are you know, favoring above normal temperatures. It's not, the odds are not as high as some of the other areas I mentioned. But we, for all the, all the factors that we've looked at, we're favoring above normal temperatures. For precipitation, most likely more across the northern part of the state. But again, with the active hurricane season anticipated, we'll see how that works out. But the favoring of that is likely to have a probably above normal precipitation as a, on the season as a whole, in addition to just the strong land sea contrast that we see for active daytime convection. And of course, that would be dependent with hurricane season because you could predict seasonal activity overall, but not where they track. Exactly. We're making no, no statements about uh, actual specific landfalls. I want to be very, very clear about that. And in fact, storms that do make landfall on either side of them, you typically have dry conditions. So it's kind of a feast or famine with any of that sort of landfalling tropical cyclones anyhow. So it looks like it'll be another warm and stormy summer for South Florida. John Gottschalk, thank you so much for joining us. Along the eastern seaboard, precipitation trends in the last you know, 10, 15 years have been considerably more wet. And also with the La Nina in place and the forecast for an active tropical cyclone or hurricane season in the Atlantic, there is greater potential for some storminess along the East Coast. Rain is the lifeblood of South Florida. Keeps us cool, feeds the grass and plants, and provides for a nice tropical environment. But too little and drought ensues, while the opposite leads to flooding. Water damages and even roof collapses. Meteorologist Erica Delgado has the rainy season forecast. South Florida's favorite time of the year is upon us, the rainy season, and it began on May 15th. And even though we are all too familiar with what it entails, 
Warning Coordination Meteorologist Robert Molleda from the National Weather Service in Miami is here to take a closer look at what we can expect this season. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Erica. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks again for always helping us out. So let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about the rainy season in South Florida and when exactly it begins, when it ends. Are these dates that we usually talk about, are they set in stone or do they vary from year to year? Yeah, uh, the rainy season goes from May 15th to October 15th. So they are fixed dates. Uh, we actually fixed the dates uh, back in 2018. And, and we based the start and end date of the rainy season on historical, let's say, best guesses as far as when we think the rainy seasons began and ended. So before 2018, we would really declare after the fact, really, when the rainy season began. So, you know, we would look at factors like um, the amount of atmospheric moisture around, uh, you know, when that showed an increase then that gave us you know, a bit more confidence that the rainy season started. We also, you know, basically just kind of looked at the at the rain patterns uh, when we started to see, you know, uh, the an increase in the amount of daily showers and thunderstorms over the peninsula during the afternoon, for example, which is a common part of the rainy season, as well as showers over the waters at night. Um, when we start to see that pattern established, you know, that's when we would go back and say, okay, the rainy season likely began on. X day. So we went back and looked at, you know, for like a 30, 40 year period when those um, subjective rainy season end begin and end dates were. And then so we said, you know what, let's go ahead and, and, and fix them based on those the median of those dates. And so, you know, so it takes a lot of the guessing game out of it, obviously. And it also, I think, helps to better educate, you know, raise awareness as far as, you know, the upcoming rainy season. So, you know, kind of like hurricane season starts June 1 and ends November 30th, fixed start and end dates help us to prepare ahead of time for some of the things that we typically see during the rainy season. So I guess at one point it wasn't set in stone as far as our dates are concerned. Do you foresee maybe in the future, just as do you think that it could ever be shifted again? Maybe not to be open-ended, but maybe uh, set dates, but maybe pushed a little earlier, a little later. I mean, who knows? It's it's possible, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I don't. I, I haven't noticed any trends one way or the other over the last, you know, ten. I don't know, ten, fifteen years, maybe more. Uh, some years uh, the rainy pattern starts early. Some years it waits until almost the beginning of June. So, you know, it. it I don't know if there's a, been a set trend one way or the other. But, you know, who knows? You never know. At some point in the future, whether it's because of uh, changes in climate patterns or maybe a better way of evaluating, you know, uh, some of the factors that go into determining whether we are in the rainy season, you know, maybe, you know, with, with more, with better tools and better information, better data, uh, we might be able to adjust those dates in the future. But I think, you know, what we got now is actually pretty close to what the median dates were before we went to the fixed dates. So I, I think they'll, that'll probably stick around for a while. Now, before we look ahead and see what we have in store for us, I always like to take a look at, at the past few months before we move into a, a different type of period. Can you give us a little recap of uh, the recent dry season that we just experienced here in South Florida? Was it drier or wetter than normal? Or would you say it was cooler or warmer than normal? Yeah, I mean, for the, it was mostly warmer than normal. That's one thing we can say that, you know, across the area. 
consistently. It was warmer than normal. Uh, our winter, you know, the, the core basically of, of, of the rainy season, you know, I'm sorry, the, the dry season, I should say, uh, December to February was warmer than normal. And, you know, and that warming and that warmer than normal trend continued uh, through the remainder of the of the dry season. Uh, as far as rainfall, it was kind of mixed. Um, some some parts of the area actually, uh, you know, for that you know seven month period of the dry season ended up with us above normal rainfall, especially, you know, parts uh, areas. You know, there were some parts of Broward County and even Miami-Dade County that ended up, uh, you know, several inches above normal. On the other hand, there were also some areas that actually are still kind of lingering in the in northern Miami-Dade County, maybe far southern Broward County, even down as far south as like the Kendall area, where overall it's been a little bit drier than normal for the right. last uh, few months. So, you know, it's been kind of a mixed signal. But the one thing that, they, you know, certainly uh, we can say is that we we didn't get or we haven't gotten into a really severe or even a moderate drought across southeast Florida. So that's, you know, that's something that we often see during the dry seasons that will end up at some point, usually later in the dry season, we could end up with some kind of drought conditions across the area. But we managed to avoid that for the most part this dry season uh, here in, in southeast Florida. Okay, which is always good when we're entering either the rainy or dry season. We kind of want to be somewhere across average, I guess, in the middle, neither right. extreme, I guess. Yeah, that's correct. Now, anyone who's lived in South Florida knows that with the summer and with the rainy season comes the frequent afternoon thunderstorms. And you just mentioned it a few minutes ago. Now, given the flooding rain that we experienced, I uh, believe it was the middle of May, what exactly can South Florida expect as far as rain for the upcoming season? Do you think that's a, a sign of what's to come? Well, if we look at the, uh, the, the outlooks from the Climate Prediction Center, which, you know, we obviously uh, closely follow, um, they're actually, we're not, we're not seeing any real strong signals one way or the other, at least at this point in time, looking forward. Uh, actually, the, the Climate Prediction Center outlooks are calling for equal chances. So in other words, equal chances of, of it being above, below, or near normal. So again, that, that's a reflection of the, the lack of really strong signals out there. You know, we, we look at, you know, we look at long range models, we look at past trends, you know, we try to kind of see which which one of those seems to be you know the, the more prevalent factor if you will but we're not really seeing any strong indications so you know it's gonna it's gonna probably depend on a few large-scale weather systems affecting us if they do affect this, this this rainy season you know that could be for example it could be a a tropical disturbance, some kind of large-scale weather system that just dumps right. a lot of rain over the entire area, or it could even come from a tropical storm or a hurricane. You know, those are, of course, big rain producers also. So, you know, that's, of course, a big unknown. So not knowing that, you know, it's so we're kind of like, you know, in a, what we call, again, calling like an equal chances. So we're not, we don't have a really high level of confidence one way or the other. It may just, we may end up being somewhere near normal you know, for, for the, for the wet season, but the wet know, we'll season. see what happens. Okay. Now you right. mentioned like no, no strong indication one way or the other, as far as rain is concerned, as far as temperatures, we've noticed a few afternoons through the spring, at least late spring, where we've had temperatures 90 plus here in South Florida for a significant amount of days. Now, do you think that could be an indication or any signal as far as the upcoming season, as far as temperatures be looking a little warmer? Well, I mean, the, the, the outlook is does have a higher level of confidence in that we're going to have warmer than normal temperatures 
for pretty much the duration of the rainy season. So, you know, there's, you know, so that's upwards of a 50% chance, let's say, uh, that we'll have warmer than normal temperatures. So we can say that with a bit more confidence, okay. uh, which so of what we're, what we think will happen. Um, you know, what's going on now or what's happened over the last couple of weeks may or may not be an indicator going forward. You know, weather patterns change. Uh, the, the the positioning of these highs and these lows or these ridges and troughs change, you know, throughout throughout you know uh, throughout a season. So you know, there's no guarantee that that's going to stick around. But you know, given some of the information we have from from long range models and also some trends over the last 10 15 years of warmer than normal summers, we expect that the you know, based on all that information that we should have another uh, warmer than normal. Uh, summer and wet season here in South Florida. Okay, now now because we've been talking about the the temperatures, what would you say would be the hottest months of the rainy season for South Florida? Yeah, you know, the hottest months on average are July and August. Again, it doesn't it doesn't mean that we can't have the hottest temperatures of the summer in June or even in you know or in May sometimes. But on average, you know, if you look at the average daily temperatures over a 30-year period, it's pretty much July and August. You know, like the period between mid-July and mid-August seems to be the or is the hottest on average. Like for example, the high the average daily high temperature during that period for most of South Florida is somewhere like around 90, 91 degrees. Again, okay. that's an average, which means on some days it could be a little bit warmer than that. Uh, especially, you know, areas inland may even have average highs around 92 or so. And along with that, of course, we, we have typically high humidity during the during the rainy season, during the summer. So the heat index, uh, the combination of the temperature and the, and the humidity is right around 100 degrees on average um, during that July and August time frame. And many days, you know, we're well above 100 which makes sense, you know, when we have visitors from out of state and they they just talk about the heat down here and how we they don't know how we can, they can we can bear it, but they're coming from places that are basically surrounded by land and their daily average uh, afternoon uh, summer temperature sometimes is warmer than ours, but with our that humidity in place for us it just feels so draining for them. It feels much hotter than what they're used to. Right, right. I think I think it's more the duration than it is the actual values that we get. You know, I mean, our you know our our hot season, so to speak, is really, really you can say from June all the way through September. So you know, it's not necessarily that we get up to 100 degrees you know, as far as a, an absolute temperature on which we don't. It's very, very rare. Um, but it's the duration. You know, we're we're talking. You know a few months pretty much without without a real break from now from those constant daily temperatures close to 90 or exceeding 90 along with that high humidity yeah that's a good way to look at it too i hadn't really thought of it from that uh, perspective now we talked about the hottest months during the rainy season being july and august would you say those are also the wettest months or does that change for the for the rainy season yeah on average the wettest months are june and then also August and September. It's kind of it's kind of close between those three months. Um, actually, June. I'm sorry, July is actually we in a normal July we actually get a little bit of a break. Uh, the, the average rainfall actually is a little bit lower in July than it is in the months either before or after. Interesting. Now, would you say that August and September are usually a little wetter due to tropical influence? That's that's certainly part of it. Um, you know, whether they're from like 
tropical waves or tropical disturbances that still can bring a lot of rain to the area, which are which tend to be more common, of course, in August and September, as well as from you know organized tropical systems, you know, uh, depressions, storms, or even hurricanes. So yeah, so if you average all those out, you know, over the last 30 years, you know, that's I think a good a, uh, an important reason why the average rainfall is higher in the months of August and September. So while we're on topic with uh, tropical systems, NOAA recently released their hurricane outlook for the upcoming Atlantic hurricane season, and it shows above normal activity this year. So can you quickly review with us what the current outlook would be for uh, the season that begins on June 1st? Yeah, the outlook uh, from NOAA for the Atlantic hurricane season is calling for uh, 14 to 21 named storms, somewhere in that range. Of those, uh, six to 10, uh, could become hurricanes. And then from those, uh, three to six could become major hurricanes. So again, those are numbers that reflect an above normal number of storms. And actually, if you kind of break it down by percentages, there's a 65% chance, or really almost a two and three chance that we're going to end up with, a, with an above normal hurricane season. But that also means there's a 35% chance or about a one in three chance that we could end up with near normal number of storms or even below normal number of storms. So certainly not set in stone that we're going to have an above normal season. However, all the conditions that are out there in the tropics uh, that we've been monitoring over the last several months do point towards, you know, another above normal season in the Atlantic Basin. Of course, but there's always that 35% that we can hold on to for hope. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and I do want to make, you know, one one quick comment about those outlooks. Those are not landfall. That's mm -hmm. not a, it's not a landfall forecast. So in other words, those outlooks do not indicate what areas are more likely to be hit by, by, by tropical systems. Uh, it's just merely uh, an, an outlook of how many storms might form anywhere in the Atlantic Basin. Where they go or what areas they affect are really only determined by the weather systems that are in place at that time. And, you know, those are things that we can't determine or get a good idea of until we're, you know, maybe like a week or 10 days away at, 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 at most. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, especially given last hurricane season, I believe, again, for I don't know how many consecutive uh, seasons now, we did go through the entire list. So it was above normal. We did see a lot of activity last season, but there weren't a lot of landfall, at least here in Florida and South Florida. We really didn't see much of anything. So people were confused. They said, oh, you know, the outlook called for above average uh, activity but there really wasn't anything going on. But that didn't say that in the Atlantic, there were tons of storms at one point just developing one after the other. So that's important to point out about those landfalling storms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you certainly don't want to tell people in Louisiana and in the Gulf Coast that that nothing happened. Because, exactly. you know, they, they've been hit really hard the last couple of years. They have, they sure have. Based on your experience, and just talking about how we have a higher level of confidence for temperatures to be above average this rainy season. Do you think our local conditions impact or influence um, any tropical system formation, I guess, closer to home? Tropically, the, the formation and movement of tropical systems are really, they're really more determined by large scale weather systems, not necessarily or not so much what happens in one local area. Of course, you know, what, what happens in a local area, you know, in other words, the kind of weather we will get in, 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 in any local area is determined by those large scale weather systems, which also influence, um, you know, 
the, the formation, the movement, and the intensity of tropical systems. So I would say uh, mostly no to that uh, as far as, you know, whether local weather can influence um, hurricane season. Um, the only thing that there might be maybe a small contribution perhaps would be ocean temperatures. So, you know, let's say for example, of the Southeast US and the adjacent waters just offshore, the Western Atlantic or the Gulf, you know, if we're having a really hot summer, for example, there could be a reflection of that in the oceans that are, you know, in the ocean temperatures that are just off the coast. So, you know, if you have a tropical system, let's say a hurricane moving into that area of warm waters, provided that the other elements are in place as well, then that could, that could maybe lead to a greater potential for, for strengthening of a tropical system. But that's probably about the only thing that I would say that there may even be even a remote connection between local weather and what could happen with, with, with hurricanes or tropical storms in general. So it really wouldn't be so much as far as formation, but just like you said, contribution, if there's already a system nearby. Yeah, even ocean exactly. But whatnot. right. Yeah, yeah, mainly, mainly, mainly in the ocean temperature, uh, in the area of, of, of ocean temperatures, right. Okay, great. Well, South Florida, you heard it here, the signal for equal rain chances expected for this upcoming rainy season. Of course, higher level of confidence for temperatures to be above average, so we're talking hotter conditions this rainy season. The seven weather team would like to thank our friends at the National Weather Service in Miami, specifically Robert Moyeda, for always making time to talk with us. Your hard work and daily efforts are very much appreciated. Robert, thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. And now, here's a fill fact. In one day, a hurricane can release enough energy to supply all of the nation's electrical needs for about six months. In our next issue, it's space time. Back in December 2021, NASA launched the Webb Space Telescope. It should be almost ready to go online, but a snag has developed in the form of a meteor strike. We'll talk to a very special guest. You've seen him on the Science Channel's How the Universe Works. Astronomer Phil Plate will tell us what wonderful discoveries await. Hubble can't see that uh, out very far, and James Webb will be able to take that, that much farther out. We'll see colors uh, and wavelengths of light that Hubble can't see. That's all coming up on our next edition of Weather or Not, which drops June 28th. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, please send us an email at wxpodcast at wsbn.com. This podcast is produced by the 7 Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane, with technical support by Stephen Sayhouse. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.